Welcome to today's podcast on CAR-T therapy for the treatment of multiple myeloma. In this podcast, leading myeloma experts are going to be talking on key updates in the field of CAR-T cell therapy. Our first myeloma expert is Nina Shah from the University of San Francisco in California, and she's going to be discussing the use of an investigational chimeric antigen receptor T-cell therapy called idacabtogene Verclucel, also known as Idacel, in patients with multiple myeloma. Over to you, Nina. I'm very excited to talk about one of my favorite topics, BCMA CAR T-cell therapies in myeloma, specifically Idacel, also known as BB2121. Well, we know that BCMA CAR T-cells have really sprung onto the scene and now are a new modality of treatment for patients. And just to go over what BCMA is, which is B-cell maturation antigen, and this is a cell surface protein that's expressed on late-stage B-cells and plasma cells. And it's really nice because it's expressed also almost on all plasma cells, which makes it a nice target, but very interestingly, is actually not expressed on other healthy cells. So that makes it be a really nice specific target for multiple myeloma especially for CAR T cells. So I want to go over sort of the evolution of IDACEL, formerly known as BB2121, uh, and talk about the CRB401 study, which was, as I call it, the OG study of the phase one of BB2121. This was published uh, a couple years ago in the New England Journal, but this was actually updated, um, as many of you know. Now, the original results of this CAR T cell therapy for multiple myeloma showed very impressive overall response rates, considering that these patients were very, very refractory to treatment. Remember, this was the first phase one. No one knew what was going to happen. And ultimately, the data had shown in the uh, publication of a median PFS of 11.8 months uh, for the patients in the active doses. So that was the 150 and higher doses. Um, And then a median PFS of 17.7 months for people who had achieved MRD negativity. Again, as we know, MRD negativity is always a good surrogate uh, for for who's going to do well. So these results were actually updated this past ASH by Dr. Lin. The overall median PFS turned out to be 8.8 months. Now, this is everybody included. Uh, And the overall survival, which I thought was very interesting, was a median of 34.2 months. You know, I actually thought it was going to be less than this. And this is just the phase one data. Um, And it was good to see this sort of longer-term follow-up because we really don't have that kind of data um, from any of these late-stage CAR T-cell therapies. So this was really sort of the first data of its kind that was presented this year. Of course, this original phase one trial led to the pivotal phase two trial, which is the KARMA trial. Now, this was presented by Dr. Munshi last year at ASCO and most recently published in the New England Journal as well. Patients with relapsed refractory multiple myeloma, at least three prior lines of therapy, uh, of course, had to be exposed to all three classes of drugs and had to have actively progressing disease. So this is important because these people were really sick. Those people were eligible for the BCMA CAR T-cell, IDA-cell product, underwent leukapheresis, then uh, eventually got, uh, most got bridging chemotherapy, eventually got flu lymphodepletion, CAR-T infusion. Um, this was powered for an overall response rate, hoping to get to 50%. Of course, they were looking at PFS as well. This is a phase two trial. They ultimately were able to treat 128 patients, uh, and they did use some varying doses, and that's important for understanding the data. These patients were very heavily pretreated. A median prior line of therapy was six. Um, it was pretty safe. Uh, CRS was an 84%, but it was actually pretty well manageable, mostly grade one and two. Median time to onset was day one. Neurotoxicity did occur 
again, mostly grade one and two. So very safe overall when you consider CAR T therapies. The overall response rate was 73%. But I want to focus your attention on the 450 dose because that's actually part of the target dose that was going forward for the FDA label. Um, and that overall response rate was 82%. Again, um, we sort of switched in the middle of the study and um, more patients got that type of a dose. So this is probably what we're going to aim for to get to our patients um, as we move into the clinical application of this. Now, the median PFS of the entire group was 8.8 months, so exactly what we saw pretty much um, in the 401 study. At the 450 dose, the median PFS was 12 months, um, and of course, broken down by response, people who achieved a CR got a median PFS of 20 months. So this is something that I think is important for us to understand. If we're going to target 450, that could be our sort of bar that we measure, if, you know, about a year of, of PFS, which would be great. And obviously, people who get to see our deeper responses will, will be good. Um, try to understand this in concept, in, in context, I guess, of real-world data. There was a matched comparative analysis done against the mammoth trial. And in this situation, the patients who were in the mammoth population, which we know is a huge collection of patients who had had previous antibody therapy, many of which had had anti-CD38 antibody, um, and the patients that matched the patients in the KARMA trial, those were paired together. And analysis was done both for overall survival and progression-free survival. So this is kind of the closest you can get to your um, um, randomized control trials. No one was going to randomize people to get CAR-T or not uh, for, for, for this, this late-line treatment, both for overall survival and PFS, getting Ida cell outperformed, which you would expect uh, from the data that was matched from the mammoth trial. So that was encouraging to know because you see this great data, you don't know if it's really going to hold true. So it's good to have some real-world comparison data, although it's not perfect. Uh, another thing that was interesting about the data from the KARMA study and other, other analyses done, there were a lot of PROs uh, done to understand quality of life. If you look at just fatigue and pain, so these are major items from the EORTC QLQ C30, both fatigue and pain actually improved dramatically. So having a lower score on this is good. You want less fatigue, less pain. And as patients went through their time points out through month nine and through month 12, patients actually were doing better from a perspective of fatigue and pain. Um, also other physical functioning, global health now being higher is better. The patients were doing better physical functioning and global health wise um, after having received ISL, even almost a year out. Remember, it's only a one-time dose. When you look at secondary subscales, so these are uh, QLQ-C30 secondary subscales. This was just presented at ASH this past year. You can see for role functioning, um, emotional functioning, and social functioning, all three of those actually made it above the baseline or the, in, the, the, the sort of incremental increase you would expect to be clinically significant. So these all did pretty well. Uh, these are important because, as I mentioned, it's a one-time treatment, and you have to make sure that if you're going to give these people a treatment that you're not going to make anything worse. And indeed, most people said that they actually were functioning better after having received IDSL. So that was encouraging data as well. So the total package here, IDSL has safety, efficacy, uh, PFS. We think there's probably an improvement of PFS over conventional care, as well as an improvement in quality of life. And so because of this, most recently, we had an FDA approval of the first cell-based therapy, uh, cell-based gene therapy for patients with multiple myeloma. Um, and so, you know, now it's here, we're, we're like uh, parents with a new baby here, like now what, you know? So so we have to go by the label, right? So there's four lines of treatment. And I, and I think probably what we could see here, we have our patients who 
our patients get BRD, transplant, lead maintenance, maybe second line get DPD, third line KCD. And then we kind of have to figure out what else we do in that fourth line. Uh, now we have things like Selenexor, we have Melflufen, et cetera. Um, and, and we'd have to think about this in terms of what we want if we want to get the patients um, to CAR-T. And I mean, if you wanted to really just do DEX and count that as a fourth line, maybe that's going to be okay. Uh, but as I say, what about the myelennial patients? You know, these are patients like that I love to use everything I can in advance. Um, and what about them? So, you know, now people are using things like KRD, <clears throat> DVRD up front. And that may make things a little more challenging depending on how the insurance companies view the lines. Of course, like I said, no one ever said single agent decks couldn't be aligned, so maybe you can do that and, and use it. So in conclusion, we have the first ever self-therapy for multiple myeloma, uh, but of course we don't wanna wait until line six to use it. Uh, we're looking forward to the correlative data, I think for better predictors of response. I think this is really important uh, for understanding who is gonna be a better patient person, uh, patient care, excuse me, patient um, candidate for uh, IDASEL and trying to make sure we try to to get the successful patients on there as soon as possible. Of course, I'm not lo looking forward to arguing with insurance companies and I, I just can't, I'm, I'm dreading having to argue with them about what a line is, but we'll see what happens. Um, in that, I wanna say thank you. Um, I'm sorry that we're all not together now, but I'm hoping that I'm getting everyone in the mood for us to get back together and hopefully party without masks one day. Thank you so much. Thank you, Nina. It's exciting to see that the first cell-based gene therapy for multiple myeloma has been approved by the FDA. Our next expert is Saad Usmani from the Levine Cancer Institute. Saad, can you please start by giving us an introduction to siltacabtachine autolucel? Siltacel is a chimeric antigen receptor T-cell therapy that targets two BCMA-targeting single-domain antibodies designed to confer uh, a high reliability uh, for B-cell, uh, BCMA uh, or B-cell maturation antigen-expressing uh, cells. Cartitude 1 is a phase 1b2 study that looked at siltacel in relapsed refractory multiple myeloma, and that's where uh, most of the data that we have in the public domain comes from. Thanks, Saad. Could you please also give us an overview of the Cartitude 1 phase 1b2 study? So Cartitude 1 was a phase 1b uh, phase 2 study design. For the phase 1b, um, there was characterization of the safety of siltacel and confirming the recommended phase 2 dose, whereas for phase 2, uh, the primary um, objective was to evaluate the efficacy of siltacel uh, by overall response rate. Patients had to have progressive myeloma per IMWG criteria and had to have a performance status of ECOG 0 to 1. They had to have three prior therapies or more or double refractoriness to PIs and emits. And the patients had to have a prior PI, emit, and anti-C38 therapy. The median dose administered was 0.71 million are positive viable T cells per kilogram body weight. Looking at the baseline characteristics, you can see that this was a heavily pretreated patient population with six median prior lines of treatment, um, um, triple class refractoriness in 87% of the patients, pentar refractory in 42%, and refractory to line, last line of um, uh, therapy in almost every patient. Looking at the hematologic AEs and infections, um, they were quite common as uh, um, is uh, known for this patient population um, as patients receive lymphodepleting chemotherapy. Uh, but the median time to recovery for neutropenia was about two weeks, that for thrombocytopenia was about four weeks. Um, about 58% of the patients had any grade uh, infection with grade three or four, making up about 19.6% which were primarily pneumonia, which is 8.2%, and sepsis and 4.1% of the patients. 
looking at non-hematologic AEs, um, mostly metabolic and nutritional disorders, some GI side effects, but uh, mostly uh, these were um, grade one or two. Um, grade three or four were very low. Um, if we look at the specifics one, CRS and neurotoxicity, CRS was seen in about 95% of the patients, neurotoxicity in about 20.6% of the patients, all grade, but grade three or four were relatively low with 4.1 and 9.3% respectively. Now, taking a deeper dive into CRS, the pattern is a bit different than IDASEL. Here, the time to onset is about seven days with a median duration of four days. Um, uh, Silta cell CAR plus T cells show a maximum peripheral expansion at about median 13 days. So this kind of makes sense. Of the 92 patients with CRS, majority were grade one and two with uh, you know, day four or later happening in about 89.1% uh, of the patients and six or later in about 74%. And CRS resolved in 99% of the patients within 14 days of onset. Looking at neurotoxicity, it occurred in about 20.6% of the patients, but grade three or higher was in 10.3%. Now, ICANS was, was the primary one, uh, making up 16.5%, with grade three or higher being only 2.1%. But other neurotoxicities were also observed, uh, occurring usually after the, the resolution of CRS and or ICANS. And there were 12 patients who had these. In five, uh, they had A's that included movement and or neurocognitive changes. Seven included nerve palsies or peripheral motor neuropathy. Um, median time to onset for ICANS was about eight days. For that, for other neurotoxicities were about 27 days. Time to recovery for, was, for ICANS was about four days. And that for other neurotoxicities, it was 75 days. Uh, reasons for death, there were four patients who died. Five of those were due to progressive disease. Three to A's unrelated to treatment, which included uh, pneumonia and AML. And then six patients, um, have, were, um, the A's were related to treatment that included septis, sepsis, septic shock, CRS, HLH, lung abscess, respiratory failure, and neurotoxicity. The overall response rates were very impressive with 97% of the patients responding to therapy, 93% VGPR or better, and stringent CR in 67% of the patients. And of the patients who were MRD evaluable, vast majority, 93% were MRD negative um, or, um, out of that patient population. Um, and the responses are ongoing in 72% of the patients uh, on the study. Uh, the PFS, the 12-month estimate is 76.6%. Uh, um, the PFS by CR, uh, stringent CR and VGPR, uh, the rates for stringent CR are 84.5%. For VGPR, it's 68%. Median PFS has not been reached for either of these groups. More importantly, there were uh, some important um, um, uh, uh, ancillary studies, including patient quality of life interviews that were done as part of this study, demonstrating an ongoing improvement in symptoms like pain, fatigue, the likelihood of bone fractures, DI issues, neuropathy, and weakness. And this is kind of uh, the testament to of a one-and-done kind of a treatment approach. Same is true for improvement in patients' relationships emotional and psychological functions, as well as activity of daily life. And this is an important piece of, of um, um, the, the SCAR T-cell therapy strategy as patients are not on any uh, maintenance treatment afterwards, and it leads to continued improvement in their quality of life. 
And then by taking specific um, EORTC, QOL measures, there is ongoing improvement in physical functions uh, over time after infusion as the patients get in, into a phase of normalcy in terms of their activities of daily life. Similarly, their pain and fatigue continues to get better over time as well. And all of these data were, were uh, shared uh, in different abstracts at ASH um, in December of 2020. There are ongoing studies with uh, JNG4528 or Siltacel. CARTITUDE 2 has several cohorts with early relapse patients, prior BUCM exposed patients, as well as patients who are newly diagnosed with high risk disease. And the CARTITUDE 4 study is in the early relapse setting, comparing uh, Siltacel to standard of care POM uh, bortezomib dexamethasone or daratumumab bortezomib dexamethasone and includes patients with relapsed and lend refractory multiple myeloma. So overall, siltacil is highly active in relapsed refractory disease, overall response rate of 97% with a 12-month PFS of about 76%. The CRS timing and, and neurotoxicity pattern is a bit different, and um, siltacil is now being evaluated in earlier lines of treatment in BCMA-directed therapy-exposed patients as well as newly diagnosed high-risk multiple myeloma patients. Thank you so much. Thank you very much, Saad. I'm sure everyone is looking forward to seeing further data from those trials. Now, we will be moving on to our next expert, Shan Mylan Cody of the Memorial Sloan Kettering Cancer Centre in New York, who will be discussing the use of allogeneic CAR T-cell therapy in multiple myeloma. And today, I'm going to talk about allogeneic CAR T-cell therapy in multiple myeloma. So the last two decades have been particularly exciting where for multiple myeloma with more than 10 different treatments approved. The most recent one, IDA-cell, the very first autologous BCMA CAR T-cell therapy that was approved by the FDA in March 2021. The topic today is allocar T-cells. And, and what are the advantages of an allocar T-cell? I guess one is uh, bulk manufacturing is possible. This also allows for repeat dosing. And because these are off-the-shelf T-cells, there's no need for bridging therapy. And lastly, the cell quality is likely to be better as these are harvested from healthy donors. Two key challenges. One is graft versus host disease. And most uh, um, different trials have taken different approaches to overcome this. The most commonly used approach is knockout of the T-cell receptor gene. And two is host versus graft disease. Again, different strategies to overcome. They're broadly classified as immune evasive. For instance, knocking out beta-2 microglobulin or C2TA or immunosuppressive approaches, which are, for example, knocking out CD52 in the T cells that allows for a deeper uh, lymphodepletion with an anti-CD52 antibody. At ASH 2020, we presented the very first results from the allogeneic anti-BCMA CAR T cell ALO715. Uh, this is a phase one study called the universal study in patients with relapse and refractory multiple myeloma. I'm going to present some key highlights from this study here. ALO715 has a human-derived SEFE with a 4-1-BB co-stimulatory domain and a CD3-zeta signaling domain. It overcomes craft versus host disease by the knockout of P-cell receptor gene and overcomes host versus graft disease by knocking out CD52, which allows for lymphodepletion with the anti-CD52 antibody called ALO647. Design. This was a phase one study for patients with relapse and refractory multiple myeloma. The primary objective was safety and tolerability. The key secondary objectives included anti-tumor activity as measured by the overall response, duration of response, progression-free survival, and MRD. 
The trial tested different doses of ALO715, including 40, 160, 320, and 480 million CAR positive cells. And also tested different lymphodepletion regimens, including FCA, that is flodiabine, cyclophosphamide, and ALO647, and CA, which is cyclophosphamide and ALO647. Heavily pretreated patients, all patients were refractory to last line. 48% had high-risk cytogenetics. 23% had extramedullary disease. Patients were treated with a median of five prior lines, and 94% of patients were penta-exposed. That is, they had received treatments with at least two PI, two immunomodulatory drugs, and a CD38 antibody. The combination of ALO715 and ALO647 demonstrated manageable safety. There was no GVHD or immune cell-associated neurologic toxicities manageable CRS with only grade one or two events, and low use of tocilizumab or steroids. There was infusion-related reactions with ALO647, but these were all low-grade and manageable. 19% of patients had grade three or higher serious adverse event, including one patient who had a grade five event related to progressive disease and conditioning regimen of cyclophosphamide and ALO647. This was an infectious complication, uh, presumed fungal pneumonia. Preliminary efficacy for ALO715, uh, particularly at the higher dose of 320 million, was quite encouraging, with six out of 10 patients achieving a overall response and 40% achieving a very good partial response in the FCA cohort with 320 million cell, cell dose. Five out of the six patients who achieved a VGPR were assessed for MRD using flow cytometry, and all five were MRD negative. Allocar T cell expansion increased with the increasing dose levels. Cell expansion was observed as early as seven days, and higher doses were associated with better expansion. At dose level three, persistence was observed in some patients out to month four, and CAR T-cell expansion was also associated with increased serum levels of IL-15 at day zero and day 14. Thanks for that, Shan. Can you give an overview of the key highlights from the universal trial and talk a bit on questions that need to be addressed in the future? So what have you learned from the universal trial? These early results demonstrate feasibility of an off-the-shelf approach in multiple myeloma. ALO715 is the very first allogeneic PCMA CAR T-cell trial. And importantly, 90% of patients were able to receive their treatment within five days of enrollment and did not require any bridging therapy prior to CAR T-cell treatment. The combination was well tolerated across all dose levels with no GVHD or neurologic toxicities and manageable grade one or two CRS. Infection rates were largely similar to other studies in advanced multiple myeloma. Dose-dependent ALO715 activity was observed in these heavily pretreated refractory patients with an overall response of 60% at the dose of 320 million with FCA conditioning. What's next for allocar T-cells? Several key questions remain. One is, what are the long-term outcomes after allocar T-cells? Two, is retreatment feasible and beneficial? Three, how does the safety and efficacy compare to other treatments, for instance, autologous CAR T-cells or to bispecific antibodies? And what about other strategies for allogeneic cell therapy? These and other questions will need to be addressed in the coming years. I want to thank all of our patients who enroll in these studies and allow us to make progress for and, and develop new treatments for multiple myeloma. Thank you very much for your attention. Thank you. Thank you, Sham, for summarizing those results for us. 
We'll now be hearing from Adam Cohen of the Abramson Cancer Center in Philadelphia, who's going to walk us through the latest data on BCMA and non-BCMA targets in myeloma. Hello, everyone. I'm Adam Cohen from the University of Pennsylvania, and I'd like to thank the organizers for inviting me to speak at this session. Uh, I'll be talking about uh, the T-cell engaging bispecific antibodies for multiple myeloma, uh, targeting both BCMA as well as some new non-BCMA targets. So the first bispecific antibody to really show proof of principle that this approach could work in multiple myeloma uh, was called AMG420. Uh, this was a, a canonical bite-like molecule with two small SCFEs, one targeting BCMA and the other targeting CD3 uh, with a short linker and therefore had to be administered uh, as an IV continuous infusion via pump, uh, but uh, similar to blinitumumab. Uh, but AMG420 did show significant activity in relapse refractory myeloma, uh, with over 40% of patients overall in the phase one study having a response, and, and 7 out of 10 or 70% responding at the recommended phase two dose, including several with MRD-negative CRs that were durable for, for up to a year or more. However, due to the cumbersome nature of the continuous infusion, this product is no longer going forward in development, but it's opened the door from now multiple bispecific antibodies that are in clinical development for multiple myeloma. Um, all of these uh, have more of a typical IgG-like structure with an FC portion that's more pharmacokinetically favorable, allowing for dosing as an IV infusion or even subcutaneous infusion on a once weekly, every two week, or even every three week basis. The majority of these are also targeting BCMA, and many of these have now presented uh, early uh, uh, clinical data from their phase one portion, and I'll go through some of that data here. And there are some other targets that are being explored as well, including FCRH5, CD38, and GPRC5D. And so this really has quite quickly become a very crowded space. I don't have time, of course, to go through all of the data from these different bi-specifics, but I'll give you uh, an example here of uh, one of the studies that's had the largest number of patients treated to date. Uh, this was presented at ASH this year. Uh, it's called teclistamab. It's, a, again, a typical BCMA by CD3 bi-specific antibody. In this phase one study, there was uh, 84 patients treated with IV dosing, uh, and then another 65 treated subcutaneously. Uh, and ultimately, it's going forward as a subcutaneous dose once a week. Like many bispecific antibodies, there's a step-up dosing phase to try to limit the risk of CRS and other toxicities where patients get initially a very low dose, followed two or three days later by an intermediate dose, and then the full dose, and then stay at that full dose thereafter and patients are typically hospitalized during these step-up doses for, for monitoring for toxicity. Uh, the primary endpoint for this study was to uh, safety and tolerability and to identify the recommended phase two dose. And uh, just to cut to the chase, uh, again, in the overall population, this was heavily pretreated, median six prior lines, 81% uh, triple class refractory uh, to a proteasome inhibitor imid and CD38 antibody. At active doses of the drug, either IV or sub-Q, 69% uh, of patients responded overall, including 26% CR, 1,500 mics per kg given weekly, 73% uh, response rate, 55% with VGPR or better. In terms of uh, duration of response, uh, the, the follow-up is relatively short for this study and actually for all the bispecific antibody trials. Longest patients are out is about uh, 14 to 15 months, but several patients uh, with ongoing re responses more than a year. Most of these responses are ongoing uh, with relatively short follow-up. So I think we need to wait and see how durable these remissions are going to be, both for this product as well as the other products, um, and how this compares to CAR T-cells targeting BCMA. The primary toxicities of, the, of this uh, biospecific, as well as most of the others, include cytopenias, the recommended phase two dose, 
Um, about a third of patients with grade three or higher neutropenia, about 12% grade three or higher thrombocytopenia. And then CRS is the most common non-hematologic toxicity seen in uh, roughly two thirds of patients treated here at the um, recommended phase two dose, but all grade one and grade two. And uh, demonstrating that the step-up dosing effectively mitigates the risk of high-grade CRS. Neurotoxicity was seen in 5% of patients treated overall, uh, 3% of patients at the recommended phase two dose, uh, and were reversible. Uh, and there was uh, one treatment-related death, uh, grade five pneumonia, and none at the recommended phase two dose. So a maximum tolerated dose was actually not reached. Now, as mentioned, this is only one of many different BCMA-targeted bispecific antibodies. And just remember that uh, this includes patients treated in dose escalation at, uh, at uh, likely doses without significant clinical activity. And so I think a, a more uh, accurate overall response rates are more in the 60 to 80% range, CR rates anywhere from 13 to 44%. The number of patients treated at these sort of active doses is relatively small. And so I think we need to wait for longer uh, uh, data from the expansion cohorts of these trials. Each of these products is somewhat different structurally. Um, some of them have uh, IV dosing, some sub-Q. They have various uh, schedules, anywhere from weekly to every two to every three weeks. And so it'll be interesting really to see as we get longer follow-up data, if we can uh, distinguish these different agents from each other, uh, both in terms of the efficacy and safety profiles. Finally, I'll just mention that BCMA is not the only target for immunotherapy and myeloma. And we saw two presentations at ASH this year with uh, the first data for bispecifics hitting either GPRC5D or FCRH5. These are other antigens that are highly expressed on the surface of plasma cells with uh, very limited other uh, expression in the body. And so the talquetamab study, uh, again, explored both IV and sub-Q dosing, and they're going forward with uh, subcutaneous dosing at 405 mics per kg. That recommended phase two dose, very small numbers treated, but a 69% response rate including a couple of CRs. Sevastamab is given as an IV infusion once every three weeks, again, with step-up dosing. And uh, again, at active doses, 20 milligrams or higher, a little over half the patients responded, including 18% uh, with CR or, or better. And so I think we need to stay tuned, but this provides an option for patients, um, even who have progressed on a prior BCMA-directed therapy and, and responses were seen in, in several patients in each trial who fit that category. Thanks for that, Adam. Could you talk a bit more on the use of bispecific T-cell engagers in patients with relapsed or refractory myeloma? So the take-home points are that bispecific antibodies or T-cell engagers have promising activity in relapsed refractory myeloma. We have a lot of different agents being uh, explored and they have uh, various uh, dosing schedules and, and various uh, binding, binding affinities and pharmacokinetic properties. Uh, we have novel agents targeting GPRC5D and FCRH5 that are showing activity, and we have phase two registration type studies starting as well as combos with some of our standard agents. The main toxicities to be aware of are cytokine release syndrome and neurotoxicity, which fortunately appear to be largely uh, low grade, as well as cytopenias and infections. And I think there are alternative step-up schedules and other ways to try to mitigate these toxicities going forward. The duration of response in PFS data is really immature at this point. Um, and I think uh, as with all of our immune therapies, uh, we, we need to start looking at uh, predictors of who's likely to respond and, and mechanisms of resistance. But I think this clearly is a promising avenue of, uh, of uh, exploration for myeloma patients and, and may give the cars a run for their money. So stay tuned. Thanks, Adam. Now over to our last expert, Maria Victoria Mateos from the University Hospital of Salamanca in Spain, who's going to compare bites and CAR-T therapy in myeloma. And I will discuss in the next seven minutes about bite 
or bispecific monoclonal antibodies versus CARS in multiple myeloma. In order to select the right patient for the right therapy, I think that efficacy would be one of the most important drivers for treatment choice. And unfortunately, right now, we don't have a mature data for both cell therapy approaches in order uh, to make a correct decision. And uh, we know also that comparisons of results from different studies is not completely appropriated. But uh, definitely, I think that this slide is relevant and we have to consider all these disease and patient-based factors in order to select the appropriate cell therapy for each myeloma patient. And we have to consider frailty, disease morbidity, risk assessment, treatment history, as well as a lifestyle. And definitely these factors will help us to select the most effective regime, safe, and trying to maintain the quality of life of our patients. In order to select between bi-specific or CAR-Ts, we have to consider the eligibility criteria. And from my personal point of view, I think that every relapsed and refractory myeloma patient already exposed to protease inhibitors emits an anti-CD38 monoclonal antibody refractory to the last line of therapy could be candidates to receive BCMA-targeted therapy throughout bispecifics or CAR-T cells. But at the end of the day, we have to follow the approvals and the label for use. What about the disease morbidity and risk assessment in order to make a right choice? IV cell and filter cell. And in both the clinical studies, patients with extramedullary disease, patients with high risk cytogenetic abnormalities, as well as patients with high tumor burden were so far included. And in principle, the efficacy, especially with the subanalysis reported for IV cell, showed how ID cell, and I would say the same for Thilta cell, are effective in these specific populations with high risk features. If we evaluate the same approach in the bi-specific monoclonal antibodies, information is more limited, but some patients with extramedullary disease or high risk cytogenetic abnormalities were so far included. And the problem is that we don't have a specific data in this specific subgroup of patients. But Definitely, we can consider disease morbidity and risk assessment in order to choose between CAR-Ts or bi-specific monoclonal antibodies. Definitely because you know that the vein-to-vein -vein time for a CAR-T can be approximately seven, eight weeks, whilst for the bi-specific monoclonal antibodies, we don't need to wait and a couple of guys are waiting us in order to ask them for bi-specific monoclonal antibodies. This puts in context that if we face with the patients with a very aggressive disease rapidly progressing, we are not going to have a time enough to wait the manufacturing process and we have to select by specific monoclonal antibodies. What about other comorbidities, renal impairment? In principle, both approaches right now are requiring a function, a renal function with creatinine, creatinine, creatinines clearance superior to 40, 45 millimeters per minute. So in principle, the renal function is not going to influence. We don't have any information about the efficacy of these approaches in patients with plasma cell leukemia or 
CNS involvement, but definitely we can consider the chronological age or much more appropriate the frailty score. And when we evaluated the median age in patients treated with IV cell and Tiltafel and bispecific monoclonal antibodies, it seems that the age was a bit higher for patients treated with bispecific monoclonal antibodies. And although it's true that ACE sub analysis conducted with IV cell showed how the efficacy was comparable in patients younger than 65, older than 65, or even older than 70. I would say that maybe bispecific monoclonal antibodies could be selected for more elderly patients. And in line with this, if we consider the organ function, normal organ function is required for both approaches, CAR T cells and bispecifics, but CAR T cell therapy requires a more stringent evaluation and this puts in context that some patients with some specific comorbidities could not be candidates to receive a CAR-T and will be candidates for, receive, for receiving by specific monoclonal antibodies. And finally, we have also to select the familiar and social support. We know that CAR-T cells have to be delivered in specialized centers, and these require the travels from the patient as well as the family for some months to a reference center. And this has to be possible in order to receive the CAR T cell therapy. Bi-specific monoclonal antibodies, in principle, are requiring right now a specialized center for the priming doses and first infusion, but this is not applicable for the rest of infusions. And I think that this familiar and social support could help us also to distinguish between bi-specific or CAR T cells in a specific patients. And I consider that if we evaluate carefully frailty disease, morbidity, risk assessment, treatment history, lifestyle, familiar support, and so on, we will be able to find the right third therapy for each patient with multiple myeloma. Thank you, Maria Victoria. That was the last talk of today's podcast. We hope that you've enjoyed hearing these updates and we'd like to thank our experts for delivering such interesting talks. You can follow us on Twitter at VJHemonk to share your thoughts on the topics discussed. But you can also visit VJHemonk.com for the latest updates on CAR-T, cellular therapies and much, much more in the field of haematological oncology. Finally, make sure to subscribe to VJHemonk podcasts which are available on Spotify, Apple and Podbeam.